Hello again. Okay. Uh, well, welcome back. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot going on this summer. I want to just take, as people are kind of wandering back in here, I'm going to just take two minutes and uh, highlight a few of those things for you. Uh, number one, uh, our summer baptism is coming up in just uh, three weeks from today, actually. If you are a believer in Jesus and you have not been baptized yet, uh, sign up. Uh, for this. There's a sign up out in the hallway. You can sign up on your app as well. You know, we, we are commanded in scripture as believers to be baptized. Uh, baptism is a, a public outward display of what's happened on the inside when you believe in Christ. So when you believe in Christ, we're told that our sins then are washed away. And that's what baptism is an is a awesome symbol of. And so some of you are new believers, uh, even within the last year, this is for you. Uh, some of you have been believers for a long time. Uh, but you just haven't been obedient to this yet, uh, this is for you. And so sign up uh, this summer. It is just a powerful thing uh, to be a part of. And then uh, the other amazing thing that I wanted to uh, share with you today is that two weeks from today, on July 8th, we are going to be making a big announcement here at Renovation Church. We are going to be revealing the location of our fourth church plant um, and so this fall, we're going to be starting our fourth church out of Renovation uh, Church, and we're even going to ask some of you to leave this church uh, and go with and start a new church. Uh, why would we do that, right? <laughs> it's kind of counterintuitive to what a lot of people are doing today, just amassing people. Uh, I believe that our biggest task as Christ followers is not to build the kingdom of renovation, it's to build the kingdom of God. And we believe that one of the best ways to do that exponentially is by starting new churches. And so on Sunday, July 8th, two weeks from now, uh, we're going to announce the location of our next church and uh, introduce you to its pastor as well. So don't miss that. Okay. Uh, we are continuing now in our Lost and Found series on the Gospel of Luke in the Bible. Uh, Jesus is kind of kicking his ministry into high gear. Uh, when we last uh, left the story a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jesus had just uh, finished getting kicked out of his hometown of Nazareth in the synagogue, and then now he's sort of, sort of, sort of starting his broader ministry in the region of Galilee. Uh, if you want to follow along today, uh, we are going to be on page 835, uh, and there's a Bible under every chair that you can follow along with, uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app. You just have Bible and weekly verses, and it's all there as well. And so you're going to see Jesus is starting to draw crowds, and some pretty amazing things are happening. So here we go, Luke chapter 4. Uh, we are now on verse 31 and uh, page 835. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Then he, this is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? What authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out? And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon, which is just a, another name for Peter. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. 
which is funny. It's not funny, but it's just, I don't know why. She just, she's ready to serve the Lord, right? At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them, and he would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Like, wouldn't you want to keep Jesus in your town, right? But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Okay, so let's get right to some of the obvious things that jump out of today's passage. Jesus is doing some pretty miraculous things right out of the gate here, right? He appears, according to this text in the Bible, to even be casting out demons, which appear to be even throwing people down, which appear to be even speaking to him, which appear, what? Right? <laughs> for a lot, for, what is happening, right? Maybe you're thinking, uh, I just came here for the dedication, you know? <laughs> and uh, here we are reading this passage in the Bible, and it's talking about these crazy things. For a lot of us in the Western world, this is just out of our comfort zone, right? This is our comfort zone, and it's out in the parking lot somewhere. And yet, however uncomfortable you feel with this idea of the devil or demons or whatever, you can't get away from it in the book of Luke. If you keep reading uh, the stories of Jesus actually in the Bible, you read them for yourself, you see that Jesus and the biblical authors, they both deal with and they talk about spiritual evil, the devil, demons, as if they're actually real. And so if we believe that the Bible is the word of God, right, that it's all true, then we must start treating the spiritual battle as if it's actually real, even if it's really hard for us given our sort of Western cultural context. You know, there's really been a lot written uh, over the last few decades on the question of why do we not see so much of this spiritual evil stuff? You read about demons or whatever in the Bible. Why don't we see as much of that in the West as they do, say, in Africa or in Asia? And, you know, one of the main things that's often brought up is that, well, the devil already has the West completely trapped in greed and materialism, so why would he need to tip his hand, right? And I actually think that's a pretty good line of reasoning. But certainly another reason is this. Spiritual warfare, as it's called, when you see sort of the activity of the darkness fighting against Christians, often shows up when we as Christ followers start pushing back the kingdom of darkness. And so you could ask, okay, why is there so much of this kind of stuff in the Gospels when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible? Well, it's because the kingdom of God is massively penetrating and about to defeat the kingdom of darkness at that time. Right? Satan is throwing basically everything he has at Jesus. But unfortunately, as modern American Christians, most of the time we're not pushing the kingdom of darkness back. We're more known for kind of standing on the side and just lamenting about the fact that it just keeps getting darker and darker in our culture. In fact, I would even ask you this question. Which of these two do you think you are? As our culture changes more and more every day, are you more likely to be the person who just sits on the side and laments about the changes? Or are you more likely to be the person who says, I'm going to get in the game. I want to work with Christ to push it back. Let me give you some uh, theological clarity here before we move on to our, 
our enemy, the devil, has been defeated in sort by Jesus on the cross. Let me explain what I mean. There are a lot of verses in the New Testament that articulate that Jesus' death on the cross was a a disarming of sorts of the devil's power. Uh, Colossians 2, for instance, says, and having disarmed, he's talking about Jesus' death on the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities, which when you see that in scripture, it's usually talking about sort of spiritual evil. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so Jesus' death on the cross seems to limit the power of the devil, and yet the power, the devil is not officially completely out of the picture yet either, right? One of the things that we know is uh, the book of Revelation, for instance, the last book of the Bible, prophesies that at the end of days, at the end of the world, the devil will be thrown in the lake of fire and then punished forever, and then his defeat is complete, right? It's final. And so what kind of period are we living in today? Right? How is there still, if, if Jesus' death kind of brought down his power, if there's a final defeat, how is there still any sort of kingdom of darkness today? <clears throat> I heard a really good metaphor for this, uh, oh man, it must have been a year, year and a half ago, uh, when I, I actually read it in an article. And, and here's, here's what it is. This woman in the article was saying that in her church growing up, uh, they used to have like a missionary Sunday. And once a year, they'd have a missionary come in from some far-off place, and they would you know, tell stories, give an update, and that sort of thing. And she said, I'll never forget, one year these missionaries came in from, she just says in the article, some jungle-like country, which sounds terrible, but that's what she wrote. And she said, the missionary couple came in, and they told us a story. And they said, one day they were in their plain little simple house, and a snake came in through their front door. And the snake was so big, it was longer than a person. Now, I sh- sorry, I should have warned you this was a snake story. Uh, <laughs> can't go back now, right? Okay, and so this snake, who's bigger than a person, slithers into their kitchen. And they see it. Of course, they, they freak out, right? And they freak out, and they run outside, and they find a local who's just a neighbor down the road. And this neighbor goes in his house, and he brings out just the largest machete they've ever seen. And he walks back to their house, boldly goes in their kitchen and with one chop cuts off the head of the snake comes back out and he says all right i've uh, i've cut off the head but you got to know something when a snake is this large because of the blood flow and the neurology it's actually going to take quite some time for the snake to realize that he's dead and so the couple sat outside and they had to endure and watch as this snake in their house just thrashed around, destroying some of their furniture, you know, writhing around, it's breaking stuff off the walls, and they just watched there for a couple hours. And they said, as they were watching, they said they had this mutual epiphany. They thought, oh, this is just like the devil in the Bible. He's already been defeated. But in the meantime, this period that we're in right now, he's still going to do some damage. But he is a goner. One of the leaders that we work with in Rwanda, whenever we would come up against any sort of opposition, and we did, he would always say to me, David, the devil is a loser. And it's theologically correct. <laughs> he's a loser. But please remember, right, even if this is a bit out of your comfort zone, that there is indeed a battle going on. The devil, even though he's writhing around with his head cut off, 
is still trying to lure people away from finding Christ. And so we cannot, as the American church, be content to just set up a church, have some Bible studies, do some Christian activities, and get together with our Christian scrapbooking clubs and our knitting clubs and do all these things and not tell people the gospel and not tell people they can be saved. Because our enemy's in the battle, right? He's playing like it's real. We need to play like it's real. People need to hear the message of salvation, which is this. If you're not a, a normal, regular, church-going person, I'll, I'll tell you what the message of salvation is in, in just one minute. And this is probably the most important thing you'll hear today. In fact, I would tell you it's the most important thing you will hear in your life. Because it's what life is about. The, the, Christianity, in a nutshell, is this. Every single one of us are sinners. We sin. Right? We're not perfect. And for our sin, we deserve justice. God is holy and he's just. And that punishment is, is, is a separation from him. But God is so in love with you that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross and take your punishment for you. And if you would believe in that, you'd put your faith in that, you surrender your life to Christ, the Bible says he will wipe away all of your sin. And you can be forgiven, you can have a relationship with him, and you can spend eternity now, not in hell, but in heaven. That is the gospel, that is the good news. And we need to share that with people. Because life on earth is short. So short. And like we said, the devil's in the game, are we? Uh, you know, one of the things I find so interesting about reading through the New Testament is people are always confused if you read through the Gospels about who Jesus is. Like, who is this guy? Right, is he Elijah? Is he, is he messed up in the head? Is he possessed? Is he a liar? And yet, you know who's never confused about Jesus? The demons. Right? Even in our passage today, verse 34, they call him the Holy One of God. Verse 41, they call him the Son of God. See, the kingdom of darkness knows the stakes. Do you? So how is Jesus beating back the kingdom of darkness in Luke chapter 4? How, how do we see this done in Scripture? I, I, certainly there are a myriad of, of ways to do this, right? But what we see in our chapter today, I think, are really two things. That Jesus is beating back the kingdom of darkness in word and in power. Look at verse 36 again, if you have it in front of you. It says, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out, and all these other things as well. And so let's start with this, this word aspect. This is, when, when I mean word, this is the word of God, right? The Bible, the gospel, the good news of God. It's speaking his words, and there is power in his words. And I think we miss this a lot as Christians, you think about the people you work with, the people you live with, you hang out with, you think, I just want them to know Jesus. And we say, but I'm not going to talk to them because I would mess it up. I, I wouldn't say the right things. I would stumble on my words. I haven't learned enough yet. I haven't learned all the arguments yet. And the Bible is saying, no, no, no. It's just the word. The power is in the words. It's the word of God. And God is just looking for people who are available to start talking about him, and he'll do the rest. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, as some of you have heard by now, our uh, Rwanda missions trip was uh, more successful than any of us could have ever dreamed uh, or imagined. 
are a brave and amazing team, uh, spoke at 55 separate events when we were there, and they shared the gospel in front of, in total, 34,370 people. That's a lot of people. Um, I, I think by reference point, uh, the population of Andover, for instance, is just over 30,000. So basically in one week, it would be like sharing the good news of Jesus with every single person in Andover. That's amazing. Uh, they spoke in front of huge crowds, uh, sometimes in front of groups that were two to 3,000 people. Uh, and then best of all, we saw 3,473 teenagers and adults surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. That's crazy. That's nuts, by the way. 3,400 people. And by the way, a, couple, a few thousand uh, little kids, too, as well, who were always ready to respond to the gospel. But really, one of the most powerful things for me personally was just to see how much God moved through our team members. Uh, you know, when we did training about a month before we left, uh, many of our team members were worried, how am I going to share my testimony with other people? let alone in front of crowds. And yet as the trip went on and they saw the power of the word and they saw God moving, many of them were just more and more emboldened and looking for more opportunities. Uh, folks on our team like uh, Trisha Carlson, uh, John McCormick were out just preaching, uh, sharing the good news. Uh, let me tell you another story. On the Thursday night of the trip, uh, the Lord started to bug me about one of our team members, uh, Tony West. And I felt like he was just saying, David, you need to have Tony do more. Again, Friday morning, we do like a, a reading time, a Bible reading time, and a prayer time in the morning. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to have Tony do more. In fact, I felt like, and I'm not a prophet, right? And so I, I, I don't have this like 100%, but I, you know how this is. Like I was pretty sure that the Lord was saying, I think you need to have Tony preach today instead of you. Now keep in mind, Tony has never preached a sermon in his life right? But I felt like that's what the Spirit was saying. And it was a big deal. We were going to yet another outreach. There were going to be a ton of non-believers there. But I felt like that was, that's what God was saying. And so I said, all right, God, I feel like this is you. So we finished praying, and I pulled Tony aside, and I said, Tony, I, I think you're supposed to preach today. And he looked at me and said, okay, you're never going to believe this, but I just have been feeling the last couple of days like I need to do more and I need to do more. And so I just told God while we were praying that, God, if you want me to do even more, after we pray, would you just have David come over and pull me aside? <laughs> and so I'm just going to listen to God more. That's what, I, that's what I got out of this. And so then I pulled him aside. And so Tony, that morning, gets up, preaches a message, right, G explains the gospel, and then calls people to come down out of their seats and come forward if they want to turn their lives over to Jesus Christ. And Tony, who had never preached a sermon in his life, led 20 people to the Lord that morning and 12 more the afternoon. Okay, so what is that? What is that? It's the word. The power is in the word, in the word of God. It doesn't matter that you don't have the right words. It doesn't matter that you don't have the right experience. If you make yourself available, God will use you. 
It doesn't matter what your limitations are. In fact, let me ask you, where is it in your life right now that you're just making excuses for God using you? Because you're looking at all your own limitations, like, God, I couldn't do that. Look at me. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. And you've got caught up in looking at yourself and your limitations instead of looking at his lack of limitations. God is just looking for you to be faithful, for you to just be a vessel, for you to just share the word, and he can do the rest. I mean, look at Paul, even what Paul says, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.4. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Uh, if you would just humor me for a, a minute, I, uh, <clears throat> I caught a, a bug within the last week, and I've basically felt like I'm going to pass out for like the last five minutes, so I'm going to sit down. So this is not more eventful of a Sunday. So you don't have a picture of the child dedication and me on the floor. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, so you start with a word, right? And then the other piece that you really see Jesus bringing forward is just power. And the word has power, but you see a demonstration of power. And I think that's what we really need if we're going to reach more and more people for Christ, a strategy of word and power. You see this to be really effective anytime the gospel is reaching an area that's never been reached before. Uh, think like the book of Acts. So they're going out and they're sharing the word, and yet there's a clear demonstration all the time of power, right? Every page of the book of Acts, there's just miracles that are going forth. Um, and you see this still in unreached places today. Uh, even in our denomination's international church planning wing of the Timothy Initiative, uh, right now they're seeing this all over the place in South Asia. So in Nepal, for example, uh, they're sending church planners out and they're starting churches. And what they're seeing is not only are they starting churches, they're seeing miracles right in front of them. People are getting healed as they're going out and just praying for people and starting churches. Now, evangelicals aren't always known for being big miracle people. And yet I feel like when God really is just battling back the kingdom of darkness, he moves with word and with power. And I just want to tell you as Americans... As Christianity begins to be pushed more and more to the margins of society and thought in America, we too must win people over in word and in power. We can't forget Jesus' strategy for this. And so as you're thinking about sharing with people about Christ, don't just share the news, but ask God to move in power. Let's just start praying some massive prayer requests our friends that don't know him. Not just that they would listen to what we're saying, but that they'd be just walking around their room someday and feel like they got to drop to their knees because they just feel the power of God. Let's just pray for them. Let's pray that God would do a miracle in their lives. Maybe even that God would heal them. Let's pray for God to move in word and in power. Because remember, when you're sharing your faith with somebody, you're not, you're not just trying to win someone over to a philosophical worldview. Right? You're trying to open their eyes to a spiritual reality. And so for us as Christ followers, the goal is that we wake up to the seriousness of the battle that's going on. That our life is short, and this is not our home. See, the devil would like nothing more for you to just continue being a nice, church-going person who keeps to themselves and never tells anyone about Jesus. He would love that actually, if you did that. That'd be just great. 
But what if you would allow God to make an impact through you, through his word and power? Think of it this way. Think, think back to the days of World War II. If you were a European in those days, living in an allied country, you were, had this dilemma, right? You could sit back, kind of like we were just saying, and just take care of you, make sure you don't ruffle any feathers, right? You don't want to take a risk and harm yourself. Or you could take a risk and get out there and try and make a difference and save people. Who are the people that we remember 80 years later? Right? It's not the people who did nothing, but the people who took a risk. Uh, people like Nicholas Winton. I don't know if you've ever heard of Nicholas Winton before, but uh, Winton was a British man who was worried that the Nazis were going to begin to take over too much of mainland Europe. And so in 1938, uh, he began to make trips to Czechoslovakia. And what he did is he started to evacuate out Jewish children before they could be shipped off to concentration camps. And he started this really daring, risky rescue mission. And he kept this log of the names, sometimes a photo if you could get it, of each of the Jewish children that he rescued. And in all, Nicholas Winton rescued 669 Jewish children from being sent to concentration camps and found them new temporary homes in England. About 50 years later, 1988, his wife discovered up in their attic the notebook that he had of the names and the details of all of the 669 kids. And she brought that notebook to one of the BBC channels in England, and there's this uh, TV show program that got word of it, and then they did a TV program on it. So I'll just show you a minute of that clip. Take a look at this. I want you to hear that question again when she said, is there anyone here tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? Someday, when you die and everything else has passed and everyone's died and we're at the end of the world and everyone's in their eternal places and you're in heaven, if God asks the question, who here owes their life to you who will stand
Who he, what if he says, who here heard about me because of you? Will you please stand? Make that your goal. Get off the sidelines. Trust in his word. Trust in his power. Trust that the Bible says that he who is in you can do even greater things through you. He will use you. He will use you. Just make yourself available. Let me pray. God, I just, I pray that we would be a church that makes themselves available. That you would do amazing, powerful things through us and that we would know, God, that it was you. We just thank you for moving already here in Blaine, here in Anoka County, and God, even abroad. In your name we pray, amen.